Brussels Bytes, a podcast about technology, digital society and European policy. Brought to you by the Martin Centre with Dimitar Lilkov. Hi and welcome back. I'm Dimitar and together with my guests we talk about politics, we talk about technology, but most importantly we talk about the fundamental change in our society and how we as Europeans can respond. This is Brussels Bytes. In our last episode we, we talked with the principal advisor of the European Commission about artificial intelligence, about liberal democracy and how European institutions are adapting to this change. Today I'm really happy to be joined by Mr. Svetoslav Malinov, who was a member of the European Parliament between 2011 and 2019, part of the EPP group. Mr. Malinov has also a long-standing academic career as an associate professor in Sofia University, and he's an expert on history of political thought and English conservatism. Mr. Malinov has also translated in Bulgarian the seminal work of John Locke, Edmund Burke and David Hume. Svetoslav, it's a pleasure to have you. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. In our, in our previous conversation, you, man, you, you mentioned that last year you were part of something very interesting. You were part of the official delegation of the European Parliament to Silicon Valley in 2018. Um, can you tell us more? Yes, with pleasure. It was a mission uh, organized by the European Parliament, especially the Committee on Culture and Education. Uh, and if I have to be honest, our mission was simply to inform the big corporations what is coming from Europe for them, uh, to inform them about the new regulations. We just went and we tried to explain what were our intentions, and then we listened very carefully what they had to say, why they are so, uh, how to say, worried about all these things, and why there are some uh, that actually welcome these changes. It was e extremely useful, and I really think that anyone who works on these topics should go there, mm -hmm. because when I was there, I really uh, understood some things that are, you, can, you can see and you can feel only on the spot. For example? It's predominantly young people. <laughs> That's something that you can, maybe you can read and you can mm -hmm. go through statistics, but predominantly young people. Facebook, 99%. Very young people. Mm. It was like a student campus. So that helps me a lot to understand what's going on. Why these people are so sensitive to some issues and why they're completely unaware of some of the dangers. Because I still remember when I was young 30 years ago, and I know that uh, what was on my mind then, my idea of responsibility towards others, towards the world, were at a very low level. I was interested in freedom, in mm. rights, and in my freedom and my rights. I had no intention or I had no horizon to think about the others. Does age make them naive? Inexperience, Inexperience is a universal feature of young people. Inexperience. You, never, you can never uh, summarize what experience means, but what it is, it makes you aware of more things than when you're young. But I think that there is something universal about you. This obsession, as I mentioned, with freedom, we tried and... Even if you're an extremely responsible young person, uh, I don't think you have the experience uh, to understand the limits of all these things. 
extremely interesting, interesting angle. Um, focusing on the topics you covered during during your visit in Silicon Valley, as I understand, you you you've met representatives from different firms, not only Facebook, Google. Yeah, Netflix, I was a YouTube. little bit afraid to mention them, but Netflix, <laughs> Universal, we were welcomed at Universal uh, because actually they were extremely happy with what we have done in Europe, mm. and they explained how important this. So we were not criticized everywhere. And there was a huge understanding, by the way, in some of these firms that were very critical. But when you go there and when you talk about it, they explain very carefully what is the problem. Let's put it that way. First, uh, the first problem was that this is a wrong target about the copyright. And the second problem was technological. But they agreed, and that's maybe a fundamental thing that we should all know. They agreed that some limits some regulation is absolutely necessary. Just, just to intervene, you, you mean copyright? Not only copyright. Not only copyright. Not only copyright. Actually, this is, uh, how to say, this is the trap that this corporation fell in because they said at an earlier stage, before our copyright directive, let's put it that way, the copyright directive, instead of saying the whole, uh, mm, the whole mm. thing, before that, we... We were very aware that they are extremely cooperative fighting terrorism. Mm -hmm. So no one has ever argued that uh, there shouldn't be some regulation about terrorist content on the Internet. Actually, they were very active. They were proactive, as we say. And then we have these problems with the copyright. And it was very difficult for them how it is technologically impossible to fight against the violation of copyright, bearing in mind that they were so successful in taking out internet content, uh, terrorist content from internet. Mm -hmm. We're talking about seconds, about minutes. And then we ask them, well, we don't talk about 90 seconds taking off the, the information about the, uh, the copyright the violation. We're talking about days, sometimes months. But if you can do that with something that you agree is dangerous, like terrorism, self-harm, suicidal messages about uh, uh, that, that are unfortunately popular among some young, uh, uh, young people. If you can do that, then at a much slower pace, you can do that on copyright, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I would like to draw an interesting parallel. Um, in 2018, 2011, uh, sorry, 2011, one of the biggest topics was the Anti-Counterfeiting mm -hmm. Trade Agreement, or ACTA for short. I don't know if our listeners remember, remember this um, international agreement. It was not EU legislation, it was an international agreement for international intellectual property rights. And then something very interesting happened. The European Parliament had to give its consent on this agreement so it could be, become binding for the European Union. But there was a series of citizen protests across Europe and Tremendous push and pressure on MEPs to vote against this, this agreement. This actually even brought divisions within the different party families in, in European political parties. And eventually the parliament scraped, scraped the agreement and rejected uh, its implementation. How did you vote on, on the active uh, agreement? Oh, it was a very easy vote. I was voted it? against. Mm. Uh, this time it was much more difficult. But let's go back to ACTA. There was a division, but the majority was huge against mm. ACTA. So it was an easier vote for everyone who voted against. For a very simple reason. Uh, the parliament was given the power to say yes or no. Mm -hmm. We didn't participate in the uh, preparation of the text. And the paradox when you have these kind of things, and this happened 
all of the time when I was MEP, and that was one of the most frustrating things, you are given something that you agree with 95% of it, <laughs> or 98%, but there are one or 2% disagreement, uh, and then you have to vote about the whole thing, and then you have to wonder all the time, is what I disagree with enough to say yes, or, uh, to say no to the other, to the left, to the 98%, and in that particular case, that particular topic, I still remember the text about copying on your computer for personal use, mm. and that was unacceptable for me. There is a very interesting trend here. We talk about ACTA, we talk about copyright. I'm also going to um, throw in the GDPR regulation, which had close to 4,000 amendments in, in, in Parliament when, when it was being negotiated. So we have, we have a trend here. This type of legislation on privacy, on um, copyright, regulating, let's say, digital companies. It's inherently divisive. It's it's piece of legislation which, which managed to divide and, and cause, even wreak havoc internally in, in different political groups. Look at the slim majorities for adopting these, these texts. Do you think this is going to continue as a trend in the next parliament? Is digital legislation going to be an apple of discord? Yeah, because it is always a question of degree. As I mentioned, we can always find something that we all agree on that should be regulated and that we should do everything to take it off. So we have some agreement about the limits of liberty or the freedom of the internet. Mm. And th that's why I mentioned terrorism, self-harm, messages uh, for young people, and so on, uh, that are obviously harmful. Mm. And they're uh, kind of mis uh, misunderstanding of what freedom is. So we have this. So we have, it's a small space but we have a consensus. And then it grows larger and larger and larger. And because it's a continuum, anyone can say, well, this will lead to Big Brother or something. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, it is possible to lead to that if the consensus about the limits is getting bigger and bigger. But actually we are fighting at the moment, I believe, we are fighting for the very survival of some creators. And that's why before talking about freedom and so on, why don't these people try and listen to the arguments of the people who are affected? Because I'm afraid that, again, I'm mentioning the young people. Young people who are extremely active in all these campaigns, they usually have an internal inclination to fight against authority, mm -hmm. power, and state. That's great. That's actually one of the best guardians of democracy. But why don't you look at that? What we're trying to impose, and I'm here talking on the part of power and uh, on the side of power and authority, is to protect other people. An example that impressed me very much in the beginning of the debate, investigative journalism. I remember very well that famous journalist uh, who went to Iraq and said, instead of 17 people, now only three of us can go there because it's expensive and no one pays us. And when you see these people who are affected, these people who love freedom more than all, with, who risk their life mm. for freedom, they are asking us to limit the freedom, violating the copyrights. And you can go on with other, um, with other associations and groups of professional creative artists. They are asking us to limit freedom. People who actually love freedom, but they simply cannot survive. We can even make the case that when there's only two reporters present in Iraq, this leaves lots of room for 
fake news, for disinformation, because you don't have exactly. actual paid professional sources on the ground, not, not only in Iraq, in I'm other domains as well. I'm absolutely certain that the young people who are protesting against these changes uh, haven't thought about that. Hmm. So that's what I thought about experience. Experience broadens your horizon, and in a way, uh, it makes your initial reactions uh, softer. It changes your perspective. Not that you're losing your convictions, but it's impossible, uh, I believe, that anyone who insists on absolute freedom on the internet, after learning what we have learned in the last two years, after reading the complaints of all these creators and journalists, to remain uh, with the same stubbornness that any violation of freedom is leading to big brother. It's a question of degree. We have to stop somewhere, I agree, but at the moment we are making the first steps in defending these people who we call creators, who we call artists, but actually who make our life better and more interesting. You, you mentioned the, the fight of young people to, to preserve their freedoms as a central pillar of, of, of democracy and, uh, and democratic rights. I want to spin this statement. How about the, the worry? that actually liberal democracy is threatened by technological change, that liberal democracy is threatened by foreign intervention in elections, by targeted advertisement or surveillance software. What's your take on this? Well, you sound like someone who has lost elections and uh, <laughs> trying to... Uh, by the way, we have just um, come out of European elections, which uh, actually prove that uh, it's not the case, at least in Europe. Mm. Uh, Everyone who expected worse results or, or even a catastrophe, uh, I hope all these people are disappointed because the results were better than the worst predictions and actually are better than the average. And as we all know, the turnout is higher than mm. before and so on. But maybe two years ago, your argument would be more valid because you can explain the whole saga with Brexit as a triumph of uh, or the intervention uh, abuse, in American elections. abuse of digital uh, technologies. I believe that's a different story there. But anyway, uh, fake news, uh, the incredible power that uh, uh, political lies have now mm -hmm. uh, has been noticed by everyone and has been used by a lot of people. Let's put it that way. Let's go back a little bit to democracy as a general concept or form of government. Uh, democracy will always be vulnerable. Uh, to all this manipulation, or more vulnerable than any other political regime. At the same time, and I'm saying that uh, really from the bottom of my heart, democracy is the only political regime that can survive uh, with the new technologies. Sooner or later, all these semi-autocratic, autocratic, or totalitarian regimes, there are still a couple, they will collapse because these new technologies simply cannot coexist with this idea of manipulation and, uh, and lies. So democracy will survive. Mm -hmm. The whole point, uh, the whole problem is the quality of democracy. And here we have these two major features of democratic regimes all over the world. The, the democratic form of government is dependent on its citizens in two aspects. The citizen should be well-informed and the citizen should be active. Now, it's a nightmare if you have active, misinformed citizens. <laughs> it's also a nightmare if you have well-informed, completely passive citizens. In both cases, democracy is in danger.
The new technologies, if they are used properly, and if the citizens are educated how to use them, will actually turn up strengthening democracy. At the moment, we are in a historical situation when governments, educational system, are making their first steps in understanding that digital education is not just how to use digital devices, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but how to acquire skills to confront the dangers from digital uh, in the digital era. You, you, you teach uh, political science to, to your students. I'm really tempted to ask, is this affecting your students? How, how do you see all these, change, all these technological, technological changes impacting them in their studies, in their personal lives, maybe? What's, what's your impression? Uh, let's put it that way. For my colleagues, I got the idea that there are two kinds of uh, uh, judgments. Mm. Uh, how do you say it? Digitally optimistic mm. and digitally pessimistic. One of their colleagues said that everything is going worse. Uh, students cannot concentrate. They cannot do uh, what we have done in the past. They do not read as if the only source of knowledge is books, by the way, but that was for my generation. So all these kind of complaints that you can reproduce very easily. And there are some other people, and I'm in this category, who actually think that, I don't say the things are better, but they're different. The access to knowledge is different. The skills are different. And after leaving university, these people quite good professionals and they got their jobs, although they don't have the quality that I have and definitely they read less. Which is, I have to warn all my colleagues in this about reading and books cannot be the major criteria for mm. acquiring knowledge. Because these people are not as ignorant as the minimal amount of books they have read. They have acquired knowledge through other sources and I'm not going back to so maybe it's, it's going to be a dynamic process. We'll have to keep something from the old school, but also we have to understand that uh, there are so many sources of knowledge that our main goal should be to protect the students, to develop our skills, how to understand what is a good source, what is a bad source. In a way, we have to teach them information about how to manage information mm -hmm. instead of giving them the information they need, which was the old, the old way. At the moment, I would better tell them how to um, find their way through the number of interpretations and how to have their own criteria, what is good and bad, to develop a sense of quality. In, in, in the closing of our conversation, after all, we are, we are the EPP think tank. We, we like to talk about left and right, uh, left and right politics, of course. You're teaching history of political thought, um, a reader in English conservatism as well. How do you see the debate on technology, debate on regulating uh, big tech, let's say, how do you see this fit within our understanding of, of left and right? And, and let me elaborate. There's libertarian opinions that the internet should be left as it is. Companies should be left as, as they are. There are other um, experts or pundits claiming that, for example, data should be nation nationalized, that big companies should wave off part of, parts of their shares and give them for the benefit of society, which is, can be seen as a, as a leftist approach. Can we talk about technology through the classical uh, angle of left and right? 
at the moment, uh, that looks very uh, risky and uh, not productive. Mm. It, is, uh, it is an old idea that regulation is, I wouldn't say good or bad, but regulation is on the left. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, at the same time, you see that these p- people who we call conservatives are pushing for more regulation. And, by the way, libertarians in many countries are considered on the extreme right on economic issues, but not on the right on some other issues. So in the end, this will be a new constellation on the left and right scale. It's going to be a new constellation. In here, uh, I believe that uh, the national traditions will be crucial. And that's why I predict that everything connected with the regulation on uh, the level of new technologies will always split political groups and uh, uh, the parliament will have very heavy debates. There was obvious improvement. So whatever the regulation is going to be in the future, the one, things must, the one thing must be, uh, must be guaranteed. A heavy, due a democratic process preparing the text, because ACTA was the very opposite of it. Experts preparing text given to politicians complete rejection. Let's make it as transparent as possible. Let's everyone see what is behind the different regulations. And then, even if you are in a minority, at least you will know that there are journalists, that there are artists, that there are living people behind all these new regulations, not some anonymous bureaucrats or states or governments. Because that propaganda has to stop. It was citizens against citizens here, not politicians against the citizens. And that's going to be the the future of all these things. The debate is crucial because the people should hear the other arguments. That honeymoon that we the people are fighting the governments is over. That was simple and that was completely wrong. At the moment we have to defend certain things and let other things uh, go. So to wrap up and to pick up on, on your last points, it's extremely crucial to have transparency when we talk about digital regulation. It's, it's crucial to involve citizens, to involve organizations, and maybe to, to follow up on, on, on something very interesting you, you, you said. Technology is not only disrupting businesses and traditional businesses, technology is also disrupting our understanding of politics right now and can even shift our understanding of, of left yeah. and right. We just should leave, <clears throat> keep our eyes open mm. and don't worry about any dystopian predictions and of course be responsible. I'm absolutely certain when the printing press was discovered, someone was talking about the dangers of the printing. Mm. I remember the dangers of TV about culture. Well, here we are. Let's be afraid, but just in order to start acting in the proper manner, not just uh, paralyze ourselves or going to the extremes. It's gonna be a question of degree and maybe the next generation soon will have the responsibility to, to protect their own children as we now think of of the young people. Let them become parents, let them take these new responsibilities, and let's see how the world will look to them. We have done our best, uh, although maybe it's not good enough, but that's another question. So let's worry, but maybe don't panic, as Douglas Adams states in the beginning of his (laughs) famous Hitchhiker uh, to the end of the galaxy. Svetoslav, this has been a very pleasurable conversation. Thank you very much. To our listeners, thanks for tuning in and um, keep in touch. That was today's episode of Brussels Bites. 